0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Dear Dyslexic podcast series. I'm your host, Shay Wissell. Before we get started, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands on which I live and work, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, and to pay my respects to elders past and present. This podcast has been proudly sponsored by IMC Training. With more than 25 years' experience, 12 international locations, And 350 employees. IMC is the leading full service provider for digital training. Experts in the field of technology, e-learning content and strategy work hand in hand to provide holistic and customised e-learning solutions worldwide. I was so delighted to come across today's guest through LinkedIn. Natalia is a business transformation analyst the Global Neurodiversity Advancement Leader and Leader of Global Neurodiversity at IBM. Talia is a proud neurodivergent and parent of an autistic IT professional. Nat enables businesses to see the value in embracing neurodiverse talent to attain highly skilled and dedicated professionals that may otherwise be overlooked. Natalie and I spoke about all things HR, neurodiversity in the workplace, and how IBM is making critical changes to ensure their neurodiverse staff work in an inclusive, supportive, strength-based environment. I hope you enjoy this podcast as much as I enjoyed speaking with Nat. I'm super excited to have on the show today, Nat. For all the way from Pennsylvania, so I think this is mainly my second or third interview with someone in the United States. So welcome to the show, Nat.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: So um, for our listeners, I connected with Nat uh, through LinkedIn actually when I was um, putting some posts out about our conference, and I saw her amazing job title and uh, LinkedIn profile, and I thought this looks like such an awesome lady to interview and. I think one of the amazing um, things about Dear dyslexic is the amount of generosity we get from people all around the world giving up their time to talk to us about uh, dyslexia and neurodiversity. So thank you again uh, for coming to chat to us today, Nat. Would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Um,
1: Absolutely. So my name is Nat Lukowski and I've been honored and blessed to be uh, a part of the IBM family for over 27 years. And m- the past five years there um, or here, uh, I've been focusing on neurodiversity uh, advancement. And as of November 1st, I was honored to uh, accept a brand new role um, as global neurodiversity uh, advancement leader. And this is one thing that I feel sets IBM apart from some of the the other wonderful companies out there working in neurodiversity um, in which we're focusing as much on our culture change and acceptance and development as well as the hiring pilots because they really need to be done um, together. So if you you know, possibly have an organization that may be only focusing on hiring and not the culture change, you may not get the same result as if you're focusing on both. Um, My own personal life, um, I grew up feeling that I was broken, or what was wrong with me. And it wasn't until college that I was formally recognized as, you know, being dyslexic and a few other flavors of neurodiversity. And I specifically use formally recognized because I don't like that word dyslexic because it moves everything to that medical deficits model. Uh, you know, we don't go to the doctor to find out if we're gay or Asian or anything else. So you may hear me use some specific language uh, language in there. And I think through that, I developed an empathy and love for the underdog. And then uh, as my life journey continued, um, I had a, a son who was formally recognized as autistic when he was six and was able to empower him to find his own strengths and to understand where his weaknesses might be and where to work that. Um, and I learned I had to fight. I had to fight the schools. I have the scars on my back from working with You know teachers and uh, other administrators and it really you know going through the journey in his eyes you know seeing you know the difficulty in university uh, and beyond really lit all of these fires for me.
0: So there's two things I'd love to unpack with you one uh, which we're going to talk about is uh, neurodiversity and your work at IBM. Uh, but also, secondly, the language you just used then, because I love talking about language at the moment, part of my um, doctorate that I'm undertaking is looking, it just happened to come out of the research is around language and labeling. But you used the word, you didn't use diagnosed. No, used, I used
1: formally recognized.
0: Yes, which I've never heard that term before and very much moves away from that medical model of the labels so that's a conscious choice is that something that's very common um in the us or is that just a conscious personal choice for how you uh, i think
1: it's i think it's a conscious choice that i've heard one or a few others right. and i just it really rung true to me um and it helps eliminate all of these systemic discrimination issues with Individuals, especially adults, trying to get that diagnosis, uh, whether it's autism, dyslexia, you know, ADHD, uh, because we don't fit the mold, right? So trying to find a provider, trying to find a medical provider that takes your insurance plan that you do. In some countries, you have to pick and choose based upon what insurance plan they're under, trying to find one with experience in adults and trying to go through all of those burdens and even if you finally find the right provider you may be faced with an unconscious bias where they may you know in in my case I was given a booklet and a number 2 pencil and they said here fill this out and you know the very first question was like you know asking me about like my homework assignments <laughs> and it was obviously it was written in the early 90s And obviously, there's bias in there probably for cisgender white eight-year-old affluent boys and not, you know, an adult professional. So trying to move that burden off of the individual. Um, We don't ask for such proof of who we are. Um, You know, if you were a woman and needed to go have a break in the day to pump breast milk or if you needed a break in the day to go pray, We don't put these burdens on that individual to say, prove it, prove that you need to go um, do this. And neurodiversity should be accepted as any other um, factor there. And I love language too. The same things with like, you know, special needs. Well, are glasses a special need, right? Or being left-handed or right-handed, you know, these aren't, you know, it's about equity Uh, words like, those labeling words like functioning you know oh you you have a high functioning son um, whereas if we change language to a high support needs son or a low su- support can be measured externally how many hours of service the person gets as opposed to saying oh can you read an analog clock and do your own taxes and Tie your shoes. I can't do any of those. So does that make me not, you know, low functioning? So I think the language is very um, empowering, the same as if, you know, I say I'm a woman, I'm not a person with a uterus, although at my age, somebody could take it and I'll be happy with that. But, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it goes to, you know, identity uh, and empowerment.
0: Oh, I think I could have a whole separate podcast with you talking about um, language. And yeah, when I started the foundation, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I just wanted to help people like me. And on this journey, I really started to learn so much around um, disability and language and what people, like it's constantly changing. So you mentioned how um, IBM has a big role around with supporting neurodiverse staff and recently I heard the term neurominority and now we're called a neurominority group and I struggle to keep up with all the different terms and sometimes I just say to my partner I'm just a person like why is there a new a new label to explain us? or why are we being grouped with all these different disorder diversity disability whichever term you'd like to use um Correct. and so I, I think that's what I'm starting to get, and partly because I trained as a speech pathologist, I think I'm starting to think I really want to learn more about this because it's constantly changing, and we're constantly being labelled, and we're just all humans at the end of the day.
1: Absolutely, and when you make you do make things more neurodivergent friendly, you make things more human friendly. Um, although I, I agree, whether it's diversibility, disability, uh, you know, neuro—I've heard neuroplastic, I've heard neurominority. Um, I think there's power in identity. And I think having that identity lets us rally together. You know, I, I've heard a lot of people like, oh, we're all a little neurodivergent.
0: <laughs> That's my partner.
1: <laughs> and my my answer to that is, you know, like if somebody gets, you know, chronic migraine headaches and you go, Oh, everybody gets headaches, or If everybody can experience anxiety, whether it's a first date or a job interview, but if the anxiety affects you at your base level to factor against, you know, how you work, how you leave the house, you know, all of the stigmas on, you know, mental health meds, which is probably a whole nother podcast. I think it's important to have that identity and to be able to say, you know, I can help you and you can help me. And there's that sense of representation, which is critical not only for the movement, but also uh, critical in IBM's neurodiversity program.
0: So do you find, and I'm excited to talk about what IBM is doing, but do you find that by putting, and this is in the workplace too, uh, if we look at IBM as an example, do you find that by putting us all together, and when I say us, um, the neurodiverse community, um, that it waters down the individual needs of the person, or the individual needs of the difference or difficulty, because we do have separate, you know, people with autism, yeah, you know, have social I, skills differences, and we have writing difficulties or reading difficulties.
1: Absolutely, um, I don't think so. I think it it goes to that sense of of equity. You know, everybody in you know the PW people with disabilities also have different, you know, different flavors, you know, from vision impaired to hearing impaired to mobility issues. They're all different as well. And they're all clumped under the PWD, PWDA. So I think having all of the neurodivergence under that same um, group or like saying the LGBT community, and while that may cover the L and the G and the B and the T, you know, they're all different, but they do have similar base core needs of understanding, of acceptance. So I I can understand how that could be the flip side of making a them versus us, and that's not what we want to do, but we, by having an us, we can create psychological safety, which I think is the key.
0: That's a, um, a great way of looking at it because I think in Australia at the moment, I think dyslexia, there's such a um, lack of awareness and understanding, but the neurodiversity movement is coming in, and although it's been focused on autism, we're starting to work with more and more companies around trying to broaden our scope of work um, to encompass neurodiversity as a whole, and it's how do you um, ensure that all those needs are met, but I like what you bring it back to, the core. Um, I think that's a really nice way of explaining it. Thank you for listening to this podcast. The D-Hub is our digital learning space where you can access our first Australian e-learning courses for those working and supporting dyslexic employees, as well as webisodes, online courses, communities of practice, and much, much more. So head to the D-Hub today and start your learning journey. dhub.dyslexic.com. You can, you know, be dyslexic and
1: dyscalculic and be Mm. an ADHDer. And possibly be formally recognized on those, and be self-recognized as autistic. And these are all of these uh-huh. things that may help you. Um, and it really goes about you know this individual program. We can make a menu of and it's some things that you know other companies you know and, and we try to collect to say here's a menu of things that have helped people kind of like an a la carte menu to help bring, you know, to help go through your brain to say, oh, that's a great idea. That might help me or let me try that. And it's not that you have to take the full menu, but you can go through that as a guide and even maybe find something that you can add to the menu to help the next.
0: Yeah. Wow, that's a, a nice way of looking at it. So can you explain your menu at IBM and the wonderful work that you do?
1: <sighs> oh. Where to begin? We have a whole buffet. So <laughs> our journey um, started in 2015, which actually is a little later than a lot of other companies. You know, some companies started, you know, 10 years ago, and we started five. And it did start with an autism focus. Autism usually gets the most oxygen in the room when you're talking about neurodiversity. Um, and we partnered with Special Sterna to uh, create a autism hiring friendly cohort. And we started that in Lansing, Michigan. And since then, we now have targeted neurodivergent hiring programs in 11 countries around the world. So that's one differentiator I like to call out with our program is that we're global. And the other, which is really exciting, actually, too, can't decide which is better. (laughs) Um, So two and (laughs) 2.1 is that we are collaboratively managed by neurodivergence and neurotypicals. So our executive sponsor, Tony Horton, uh, he's a VP and he is openly dyslexic and our head of PWD, PWDA, uh, Diane Delaney, she is also neurodivergent and myself. So we're giving a voice to the actual um, programs. And while allies can be helpful, sometimes the well-intentioned ally, you know, may Uh, may be harmful. But we do work very closely in synergy with our neurotypical allies, but we have to ensure uh, representation. So we have an an ERG um, and we have what I'm really, really excited about and get a little emotional about too, is that we've developed safe spaces for neurodivergence through virtual communities. Oh. So we have global Slack channels, one called Actually Autistic, one called Actually Neurodivergent. We have one for neurodivergent families and caregivers, and then we have the general neurodiversity channel for all allies, uh, all neurodivergents, and all closeted neurodivergents who might be out in those safe space channels, but not out publicly. And the safe space channels, we actually call them task forces. The reason we call them task forces is not to have people think, oh, this is just the warm, fuzzy, oh, we're going to support each other, which is very important, right? Psychological safety is huge. Um, you can ask for advice on your, you know, something happened with your manager or your partner at home um, and, and really be raw and honest and candid, which is so needed, you can have this community of peers to say, oh, this is what works for me. But it's not just that. This is a place where we have the community where we can rally, where we can say, what do we want to do for April? Or, hey, you know, uh, you know, with my liaison to benefits and HR, I can bring to that community and say, you know, uh, IBM has been invited to partner with this organization. What do you think? Or this new benefits package and we can get vetting from the community which is huge and to offer that safe space and that voice which since it's safe space people can be free to say yes or no i don't like this um, or report in biases whether it's you know in our tools whatever it is to go through and no different than any uh, other identity group that representation is critical if it was a woman's initiative, would the owners and main stakeholders be all men? No, (laughs) (laughs) clearly. So if you're, you know, our motto is nothing about us without us. And we take that very, very seriously.
0: How do you encourage other organizations? Like that's amazing to have the the Slack channels that create that psychological safety in the workplace. I mean, it's, so important, and it's um, it's great to hear you use those terms. And I think how do we in, how do we encourage other workplaces to see the value in putting the time and effort into set up those type of structures so that people feel safe and they feel like they're contributing? And you can't, from my research, people are so fearful of disclosing at the moment. That uh, particularly in Australia, that then um, it's hard to build those safe spaces because people are just so scared to come out in the first place. So it how is. do you support it is support that within IBM, and then that broader question of how do you think? Yeah, uh, in I the think
1: workplace? there's there's one big blocker, and that's imposter syndrome, where you have so many individuals. If you're not familiar with the term, you probably are, where people may have gone for that diagnosis and the doctor said oh you're far too social or you can you just read slow you don't you know need so it's that bias that we have in there which is a whole separate piece um, but how do you build culture and safe space for the neurodivergent community I'm going to answer the question with another question which I really hate when people do but I'm going to do it anyway which is how do you develop safe spaces for the Black community, for the LGBT community, for any, you know, for the Pan-Asian community? And it's the same answer, which is you have to start the conversations, you have to find allies, you have to build a culture where people... Are free to come out. It's kind of like showing your pronouns. If you're using the word neurodiversity, if you're talking about it, and then you have, like, we have an internal uh, website with all of the resources, and we have two or three gatekeepers. I'm one of them for the safe spaces to say, all you do is email me and say, I'm neurodivergent and I want it. And then when you get in, there's a whole honor system, like, you know, rules of what, you know, what is said here stays here unless you have permission. Um, obviously if there's an issue, like an HR issue that is, is reported, then I may take, you know, contact a person one-on-one and try to guide them through that to, you know, self-report as, you know, just as we would if anybody was, you know, in crisis or in any other thing, but it's just a start. And, you know, we only, we, we started with just, you know, 50 people in our ERG and since then, we've had over 4,500 IBMers take our neurodiversity acceptance training. And we've reached about 14,000 IBMers just in introducing um, the topic. So the, a big part of our program, we call it the three A's. And the first is awareness. So people need to be aware of the conversation, aware of microaggressions, aware of what this is but you can't stay there for long. It's a great place to start. It's like when you play the little board games as a kid, you, everybody started on the little box that said start, or that's the start of your journey. But if you stay there, you fall into this trap that awareness can still breed discrimination. You can be aware that, say, a Muslim family moved on your street. I'm aware. And if you were not willing to take that next step, what are you doing? So we start with awareness and we also understand from a cultural standpoint, whether you're in Japan or India or the U S or Australia, there's also cultural stereotype or cultural biases that all tie into this, right? Cause we're not just neurodivergent. We're neurodivergent and women and you know, we're a combination um, of things. So our next step after Awareness is to focus on acceptance, and that's when people are being educated and then taking action, you know, asking, asking questions you know, and moving into that place, work on hiring, work on looking where there are blockers in your, in your programs. And the final A would be advancement. And that's where you're trying to ensure the neurodivergents are being offered the same opportunities, whether a team leader or manager or a leadership position, or even asking their opinion, having them have a voice and really moving through that. And we're trying to you know, make changes along the way. So a few years ago, IBM for April, we celebrated Autism Awareness Month, like everybody else. And then we upped the game to, to Autism Acceptance Month. And then we upped it again to Neurodiversity Acceptance Month. We're still wordsmithing, but you know, possibly you may see other language coming in this April, like Neurodiversity Celebration Month or Pride. And the ND movement is really following the LGBT plus movement so much in which, you know, being a member of that LGBT plus community 30, 40, 50 years ago in the U S and obviously in different places, different countries, it was a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria and there were treatments and medicines and, you know, how to, how to act normal. And now we've progressed. There's still work to do in that community But from a corporate standpoint, it started grassroots and then a couple of executive sponsors gotten in and then working to work on middle management. And now you have corporations, you know, focusing on pronouns and make building that safe space. And the neurodiversity movement is really following that far more than, say, people with mobility impairments or the like.
0: Wow, we've got so much to learn from overseas and I just keep thinking about we're just at the A, but I love the three, awareness, acceptance and advancement because I thought that the third A would be action, but you've included acceptance with action, which makes sense. No, you know, that's such a good philosophy and I see it in my research and it's been hard to articulate and that's really, that's, that's what we're missing at the moment is that all three, all three of those, but we're at a starting point of the awareness component of it.
1: Thinking about neurodiversity as another chapter in your diversity story is I think when we're going to get that most progress because we don't need a pity party, right? We don't just want this, oh, this is warm, fuzzy. This is corporate citizenship. This is something that is nice to do. Mm. The data is now proven to say it's not a why you should do this. It's a matter of why not. Who doesn't like increased revenue and more loyal employees and more empathetic managers and more candid feedback and more growth mindset and skills? And all of these things can, a company can access for very, very low cost, uh, if not free in some times. It's a matter of being able to say, I work best here. And instead of asking that, you know, what accommodation do you need to really change the language again, to just say, how can I help you succeed and see where it goes? And maybe it's to help me succeed. I would rather sit in a quiet part of the office building, not by the elevator or, you know, where there's a lot of commotion or I need noise canceling headphones or I would like to start my day 30 minutes later. So I'm not exhausted from the commute and I could hit my desk with a full battery and then stay later in the day, or I work better at home, or, you know, I have adult parents that I need to tend to, or whatever it may be. And when you think about making things more neurodivergent friendly, you're just making things human friendly. And a lot of times the neurodivergents are kind of seen as the canary in the coal mine, that we're very, very sensitive to these things, but it really can help everyone, kind of like the curb cuts we see on the sidewalk, right? They were meant for one thing, but it can universal. help people with strollers
0: and carts. And... It's really around universal design principles, isn't it, that are, that it's, it's helpful for everyone when you're able to work in those types of flexible environments and where you feel safe to say, yeah, I do need, or this will help me to be my best and uh, encouraging workplaces. How do you think we can start to make that shift, do you think, uh, globally and in workplaces to, to think more open-minded? And I think COVID has really helped uh, in that sense around the, I mean, well, we were forced to work from home, which, you know, <laughs> most employers would uh, would have had a pink fit about, I'm sure, but now it's... It's actually um,
1: COVID. Yeah, COVID's actually been a silver liner for many, for many working in maybe the smaller companies that had never embraced work from home or never focusing on having honest conversations to say, this is what I need. My child has remote learning and I can work two hours and then I need to take a break and everybody is being far more empathetic. So COVID's actually been a silver liner or silver lining uh, to a lot of people and a lot of companies to say, wow, my people can be productive, either working from home or working on a split shift and you know, seeing things in, in, in a different
0: light. Do you think that will help um, support the needs of neurodiverse people in the workplace now that COVID's come and we've, we've, been, we've had these different opportunities to work?
1: I would hope so. You know, I I think COVID has made everybody have to think about working differently, being more personally resilient, having to, you know, rally together and take care of each other and think about the skill and think about hiring not because like not in spite of somebody's being dyslexic, but because they are dyslexic, Um, listing it as a skill. Uh, I was, you know, on a job interview and... Somebody had asked, um, you know, how are you at multitasking? And, and I'm like, I'm neurodivergent, <laughs> right? This is this is my wheelhouse. Um, I thrive in a multitasking, constantly changing environment because that's my life. And I think the answer was a little. They were just like, I've never heard that answer before. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, this is this is what it is. I think. We have to really work on this environment and this culture change. And I've said it, you know, kind of, of a key phrase um, that I use in that you can't sow seeds in sand. So, uh, you know, as we do these targeted hirings, as we get in more apprenticeships and internships, and IBM through our new caller NEW uh, program, we no longer even require advanced degrees because a lot of neurodivergence may drop out of school or, you know, the unemployment rate and underemployment rate, you know, PhD in machine learning, working at a coffee shop. Uh, why? Because they don't smile the right way during an interview or they shake your hand like a you know, weird dead fish. And what does that really um, have to do with anything? But it's about building that environment. When you put a new seed in, it can put down roots and that's where you get your higher loyalty but when you do that, when you're amending the soil and getting rid of the blockers, the rocks and sticks and adding manure in, um, then everyone could really blossom.
0: Uh, I feel slightly emotional because I think, wow, there's, it, it renews me with hope and makes me excited for the future of Australians that are neurodiverse because I think if we can if organisations in Australia can can look at the different models in the US, particularly your work, and, you know, I think it might help remove some of the fear they have. Um, there's definitely a huge movement starting around employing um, people with autism, which is fantastic, and these specific programs to get people with mm-hmm. autism in. There's a lot more TV programs in Australia around people with autism, and it's looking at how do we diversify that and grow it so that... Um, all of us are supported in the workplace, and it just gives me such hope. And yeah, um, our
1: you know our, our second pilot uh, for neurodivergent hiring, you know, was in Australia, and we do have a a, a huge group there. Uh, Andrew Williams, Belinda Willi- uh sorry, uh, Belinda Sheehan. Um, all of us, and and this is what's really beautiful about this project. This project um, that we have so many so many allies and so many. People self-identifying. Every day we get more and more people to come out. Uh, we recently got our first NDR in India to come out. We know they're all there. Um, it's, you know, it's the same, you know, one in 50, 1 in 20, uh, you know, you know, and that were out there. And, you know, breaking these stereotypes, like you said, you know, you see in social media, or you see in you know, television programs, you know, the Sheldon Cooper of Big Bang, right? White, cisgender, male, really good in IT, kind of nerdy, kind of adorkable, um, but it could be a Black trans Asian accountant, or it could be somebody in HR, or an artist, or a lawyer, or an accountant, and to really, you know, embrace, uh, embrace that difference. One interesting thought that I'll kind of have people or have you percolate on is that if we go back in time to the indigenous people of our countries, right, there were communities, you know, hunters and gatherers, uh, they were in communities of 20 to 50 people. And usually there was one or two people in that community that saw the world a little differently. They knew which leaf could cure and which leaf could kill. They were able to read the signs of the season to know when the tribe should migrate. They had big thoughts. And they were revered for that. They were the shamans. They were the medicine people. And they weren't shamed for having for being different. Um, their skill was embraced in the community. So... What's interesting is that that same ratio that we see is that same 1 in 20, 1 in 50. So the neurodivergence were always on the planet. And now we have to come together to find our voice again.
0: This has been such a positive, enlightening, educating conversation for myself. I've just loved every minute of talking with you today, Nat, and I'd love to have some more follow-up podcasts to hear how you're going in IBM and the amazing work you're doing. Is there anything you'd like to say uh, to the neurodivergent community or it could be employers or managers that are listening right now? I would just say, just start having the conversation.
1: Um, If you are neurodivergent, consider coming out because you're going to help others. Uh, We've seen neurodivergents, you know, actually, you know, several that have been in the closet and then they came out just to our safe space group. And then they started speaking, you know, to their manager to get some success enablers or things to help them in their job. And now they're mentoring others. Now they're, you know, getting TEDx's or speaking at, you know, big conferences on this so you know maybe just think to tell one person and see where you are um from a corporate standpoint work to not be in sand right build this environment like where you can show your pronouns where you're saying the word neurodiversity where you're asking for questions and ensure that the organizations that you're working with are neurodivergent led and have representation I would say that's the biggest misstep is, you know, going to, you know, maybe uh, an organization that says, you know, we're going to help you do this and they don't have any neurodivergence on their board of directors or in their leadership, or they have that, um, we can fix you, we can cure you, let's do, you know, genetic research to get rid of the the gene, which can only lead to eugenics, but just start, start and have, have the hard conversations.
0: I love that. Um the foundation at my work is all around led made by dyslexics, led by dyslexics. And maybe in time we will turn that into neurodiverse neurodivergence. But we've all I've always had a strong philosophy that from our board down we have people that work with us that are dyslexical neurodiverse uh, on our board. They have to be we have to have a mix of both um Absolutely. and Absolutely neurotypical. Absolutely.
1: It has to be a conversation uh, on both, and it's okay to have that identity. And you know, you, you may hear people say, "Oh, we're all a little," you know, "we're all a little neurodivergent," or we're all you know. Um, and, and just think about you know the language that you're saying. You know, usually when I talk or I do a podcast, I'll, I'll get some feedback afterwards to say, "Oh, my second cousin's nephew is is dyslexic." Sometimes I'm a little sassy, and my answer is great, and my hairdresser is gay. I love that (laughs) which is you know I wonder I'm happy to talk about this and I'm happy you could recognize that but it really does nothing to the cause unless we're taking action and getting the voices of
0: well that is a wonderful um way to wrap up the conversation but my final question which um is totally different is um before yeah sorry, my brain just slowed down for a minute then, (laughs) is um, what gets you up in the morning? I would say um, I've always
1: been a family of servant leaders. Um, My dad was a first responder in military. Uh, Scouting is part of my life. I'm a third generation scout and still a scout leader. And it's seeing the seeds that I've sown you know really grow um, it's seeing the people that I've mentored now mentoring others, and it's in it's in seeing uh seeing that progress. I try to keep that attitude it doesn't <laughs> always doesn't always happen and I'm a big proponent of spoon theory, so I try to balance my spoons and practice self-care when I should or actually more call it like organized procrastination than, uh, <laughs> I love that. Um, <laughs> Um, Than anything, but there's so much work to do. And we have so many people who are excited about this, that can see that it's not a, why should we do this? It's a matter of how.
0: Well, thank you so much. I've just learned so much um, from talking to you today. So I'm just so grateful that we were able to connect on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you for giving up your time right before the holiday season. And absolutely. Uh, hope, you, hope you have a safe and wonderful holiday. And uh, thank you again. I really hope this is not the last time we get to have a chat, Nat.
1: I'm like a stray cat. <laughs> <laughs>
0: wonderful well i can't wait to um touch base and i really look forward to seeing how um things unfold in ibm thank you so much bye-bye to find out more about nat and her amazing work with ibm head to deardyslexic.com and if you haven't done so yet make sure you sign up to our mailing list so you can keep up to date with everything we're doing, including our advocacy and awareness work, peer support programs, research, and the D-Hub, our digital learning platform for all your needs. If you love this podcast, well, why not sponsor one today? To find out more, head to deardyslexic.com.